Welcome to the Jack Daniels Show, a new show every Tuesday. Giving you a shot of unconventional opinion. No filter. No nonsense. No political correctness. Tune in for real talk. What do you think about the social credit score in China? It's actually terrifying. Like it's legit, legitimately scares me to think that that could exist. That could be a thing that, yeah, nah, nah, I can't. <laughs> too much tyranny, too much tyranny. Yeah, so they basically all got hundreds of millions of cameras just watching you, watching what you do, right? Um, and they can recognize you. They can pick you out of a billion people. So, for example, you walk into, say, a liquor store, you buy some liquor. Oh, yeah, that's not, that's not very responsible. So your social credit score goes down. You go into a grocery store, you buy you know, some nappies for your baby or whatever. Your social credit score goes up because you're acting like, like responsible, like a responsible citizen. And so it kind of goes like that. Um, there are lots of little actions that can make your score go down by a bit. There are actions that can make your score go up by a bit. And over time, you accumulate you know, either a high credit score or a low credit score or something in between. If you have a high credit score, then you, know, you have access to the best government schools, um, the best opportunities for work. You can travel wherever you want. You're free. It's, life is great. If your credit score is low, uh, then you gotta, your kids get to go to crappy schools. You don't have much opportunity. And you can be restricted to living in a particular region of China. You definitely can't go overseas. Wait, isn't that like a jail almost? Yeah, pretty much. It happened to a guy because they've been testing it out, right? They've been rolling out in certain areas and testing it. Um, and there was a story about a journalist. He he was like he was like sort of this kind of like award-winning journalist who had cracked this murder case and he was respected and all that. Anyway, he discovered that there was some corruption in some chapter of the Communist Party near him or whatever, something like that. And so he wrote a report on it, and it didn't go well to report on corruption within a chapter of the communist party and mm. he was disgraced discredited and his social credit score went to hell what happened to him afterwards he was stuck he couldn't leave the, you know a particular region of china and he couldn't go overseas and his his life was screwed i don't know where he is now or what he's doing now but that's the kind of thing that they'll do to you um, wait so, so how did his story even get out so surely surely him um releasing that story would have even further crazier repercussions on his end. Maybe, but I wouldn't know. Like, China did he just not... disappear? I don't know. Couldn't <laughs> tell you. I think it was the Washington Post that did a story on this. Or it could have been the New York Times. I can't remember. It was one of them. And China's not super closed off yet. It's, we're not dealing with a North Korea-style regime. So information does leak out. But um, this crap is scary, this social credit crap yeah actually frightening like remember the time remember the time when you went to guangzhou with me do you remember all the cameras you saw at each of the intersections it's pretty frightening yeah i I also remember being in the airport and there was a sign that said don't take pictures and you thought it'd be a good idea to take a picture of that sign yeah it's all right they can't do anything to me anyways i was actually scared i'm like bro you don't screw with china but maybe it was okay for you because you know for your ethnicity yeah, mate, mate, I'm Asian. They can't do anything to me. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah, so so social credit score, the social credit score system is basically 1984. It mm. is big brother. It is actually big brother. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> and the, the, the scary thing, though, is that it has a lot of support 
among the elite and the upper middle class in China. I've seen many of the population actually enjoy it because their argument is, well, China is acting in their best interest and they are improving their quality of life. So if you've seen the previous years where Chinese economy has opened up, everyone has gotten a lot richer because they've benefited from it and there is this trust they've developed with the Chinese governments, they actually just don't mind handing over control. Yeah, a lot of them seem to be very, very well catechized, like brainwashed. Um, in particular, it's the article that I was talking about I was talking to this young lady um, who's, I'd say, member of the upper class or upper middle class, something like that. She was talking about, yes, yes, you know, we need this to maintain order. I'm like, you guys have maintained order for like thousands of years. You don't need <laughs> hundreds, of mi- hundreds of millions of cameras to maintain order. It's like, yes, we need this. Um, so you can just see the propaganda over there is working um, very well. They're not being touched by it. I mean, it's, you know, because, I mean, and, and this is always a thing. When you're defending freedom, what are you defending? You're really defending the freedom of the average person to do what they want. Yeah. The average person living an average life will probably be okay, Right. Yeah. Except under except under the worst of tyrannies, like really nasty tyrannies. I mean, I mean, for the most part, if you're a regular Han Chinese in China, you're doing fine. You're probably going to be fine. You're probably going to be fine. When you're defending liberty, when you're defending freedom, you're defending the right of people who aren't the average person or who don't do what the average person is likely to do. You know, you're talking about freedom for agit- agitators, freedom for people who are, who are different or who, who are unique or who, who take certain risks, right? Um, freedom for the tails, you know, if we're speaking in terms of distribution. Um, so the issue with that is a lot of the population will usually go along with tyrannical rulers if they feel, if they feel like they trust those rulers, if they feel like they're benefiting from those rulers. Mm. I think that's the case with China. I mean, um, China does have a whole history of imperialism, right? <laughs> it is baked in the DNA to follow a king, essentially. You know, there's an entire sociological theory based on that. I think it's called Oriental despotism. What does that mean? It's this idea that Asians need to be ruled by dictators, essentially. I'm not surprised. I mean... The whole whole entire history is just full of different dictators in the form of kings. But the point is that a lot of people go along with it in, in China. Um, and we see, we, we, we see the same sort of dynamic in lots of other countries in the world. Like you, this, it's, 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 it's the same dynamic that brought Hitler to power, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of Germans were willing to go along with Hitler because of all the things he promised and they felt like he would be good for them. They, they trusted him essentially. And so the fact that he was going to marginalize people like minorities, it didn't matter, right? right. Because for the average German, they felt like that would be good for them. And they were willing to turn a blind eye to the other stuff he was doing regarding, you know, the the Jews, the gypsies and so forth. Um, And in fact, that's how dictatorship takes control in most countries. It's usually popular 
dictators are usually popular not always but usually like you know egypt right now is essentially dictatorship mm-hmm. the dictator is very popular <clears throat> i mean um, without without the you know that's russia of, oh yeah putin right putin is super popular well, dictators are popular so dictators are in some sense a manifestation of democracy <laughs> it, i mean you're not wrong there's just no way they can be in power if the people don't want the person in power right 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 i mean it, it can it can be done but it's not easy to, to do that maybe no, they... no but like even so yeah. you you need to muster the like the collective um unity of say the military force for instance that's yes. still people that's true that's true you need at least that much support, um, which is what you have in North Korea. Yeah. There's actually a term we use to describe that. It's called um, governance by consent of the governed. So in other words, basically all government is always by consent of the governed. Mm. Right? Um, even if it's only tacit um, consent, which means like it's consent that you know, manifest as not resisting the person ruling over you. So there are some cases where people don't like their ruler, but they're not willing to stand up against their ruler. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the history of China, right, there's been plenty of people that do not like the king, for instance. They want to overthrow the king, but what they do is they buy the time, waiting in the shadows, looking for opportunities. So so in, in similar ways, it is the same sort of concept. You need the support of all these powerful entities um, in order to, to really drastically change things. And, and one thing that the olden days also had was also the support of the upper class as well. So those people generally ruled over different um, portions of the land per se. And, and so getting their buy-in was also quite critical um, to succeeding in overthrowing. Mm, mm, right. And I think what we're seeing right now is something that's uncomfortable to Western eyes. We're seeing, you know, the, the CCP with a lot of popular support roll out all this tyranny. So we're, we're seeing a failure of populism or, or a failure of majoritarianism. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing that you can't really entrust freedom and liberty to the people because the majority of people um, can, can, be in support of tyrannical rule so long as that tyrannical rule benefits them and tyrannical rule can benefit the middle it can benefit the majority of people yeah i mean you, you see that in china right now though there are scapegoats right <laughs> the, the classic um the uyghurs in the, the uyghurs, concentration yeah. camps the uyghurs yeah yeah and so but that's exactly it right they're they're still tyrannical and you can see that when you see the way they deal with marginalized groups. Um, and I, that's the true test of tyranny. I mean, people think of tyrannies, they think of North Korea, where like everybody's oppressed. But most tyrannies aren't that. Most tyrannies work for a lot of people. They just don't work for the people on the margins, for, for, for certain groups of people. And that's what we see in China, um, where there are certain, where, you know, ad- agitators, um, political dissenters, and, you know, groups of people like, um, the Uyghurs are getting absolutely steamrolled, <laughs> steamrolled by the CCP, and no one in China really cares because the tyranny is benefiting them. So the people, 
you know, we the people can't really be entrusted to maintain liberty and freedom. The Uyghurs are getting destroyed. Yeah, like, have you heard of what's happening to them? Sure have. Have you heard? Yeah, dude. Can you update? You okay, so, so I've heard they, they go into these reform camps where mm. they're basically uh, just brainwashed, essentially, <laughs> about mm. communism. Yes, re, re, the re-education camps. Yeah, the re-education camps where um, they, they must basically abandon their, their beliefs mm. um, and, and their, their whole uh, culture heritage. Mm. So I, I think the Uyghurs are, are, are Buddhist, right? No, no, they're, they're Muslim. They're Muslim. Yeah, yeah, sorry, my bad. And so a lot of it is just this conversion away from um, their Islam. Muslim beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's... See the the CCP the way they work is sort of like if you if you support us if you play ball with us then you know we'll play ball with you so there's another group of Chinese Muslims um, I forgot what they're called um, actually let me just try to figure it out but they they're pretty much Han people who you know in ancient times or whatever a long time ago converted to Islam right okay um, yeah the the, the Hui people. I don't know. I don't actually know how to pronounce that. Okay. So the Hui people. Um, yeah. So they are essentially Han people who at some time in the past can have converted to Islam. Okay. So how, how have they supported the CCP then? Well, they, they've just, they have not been involved in any separatist movements. Certainly no movements calling for Sharia to be applied in China or anything like that. Um, they've just, yeah, they've sort of stepped in line like all, like most of the other Han people, right? And so in turn, the CCP has not really moved against them and actually it's supported them sometimes. Like um, when Charlie Hebdo, the French magazine, came out with those comics about Muhammad mm-hmm. that, were, that were very offensive to Muslims, the, the, C, the official CCP newspapers were actually condemning those cartoons as yeah. offensive right um and why is that it's because they just want the hui people on their side um and they know that they're likely to have them on their side so why not support them the uyghurs uh, do have a history of separatism like they want to split off they don't want to be ruled by china or by the ccp okay so so they've publicly uh said that i mean in in the past they've had separatist movements in the past um and so the way that the CCP has dealt with it is extremely brutal. Yeah. Instead of dealing with issues as they come, you know, or dealing with in a diplomatic way, which, okay, so let me give you an example where separatism was dealt with um, in a diplomatic way. Eventually, after plenty of wars and, and blood and violence, in Russia, um, they had, Russia is um, a federation of, you know, these uh, regions yep, or republics or whatever. So Chechnya is a region of Russia, which is Muslim, and they wanted to be separate from Russia and they full on fought this war against Russia. Right. Whoa. Back in the 80s and 90s and crap. Yeah. Um, do they fight Russia anymore? No. <laughs> the, the leaders like love Putin. They love him. <laughs> they adore him. His compromise was something like this. Hey, look. You guys, I'm going to give power to a few of you guys. 
they make you nice and rich and crap. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of run Chechnya however you want, so long as you don't do anything too ridiculous, right? Here, run Chechnya however you want, but you know you, you just can't be too much, you know. And uh, we'll leave you alone, but you have to support Mother Russia, <laughs> right? You, you have to be part of Mother Russia. They're like, okay, fine. So we installed these leaders, you know, who, who used to be part of the resistance movement. Like these really? are the, like the current leader of Chechnya was the son of one of, one of the most famous Chechnyan terrorists. Whoa. Right? You gave him money. He has all these Ferraris and crap. He doesn't do anything, right? <laughs> he has all this wealth. Why would he turn on Putin? Putin gave him all this crap. One, one, one person, one, uh, one uh, journalist once asked him, you know, where did you get all this money? And it was just like, Allah provides. It's like Putin provides. <laughs> nice. So they love Putin. They love him and they make sure that there's no separatism anymore. Right. These are the people who used to, <laughs> you know, commit terrorist acts against Russia. Mate, so, so Putin just bought him out. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Hey, you know, he, he, he's all these positions, you know, I'll, I'll turn my blind eye against a certain level of corruption. So you guys can all make yourselves rich. Um, and you can kind of run Chechnya how you want within certain parameters, right? But you're part of Russia. Whoa. That, that's, okay. That's, that's insane. <laughs> so that's how they dealt with them. And it worked very effectively. China, I don't think is into that. Why is that? Well, I don't, they're, well, they don't, they're not a federation for one, right? This idea of semi-autonomous republics working together um, as part of a common nation state. They don't have that concept. Right. Whereas the CCP, CCP just wants dominance. Over, yes, over everything. Whereas Russia is sort of like, it's happy to have semi-autonomous regions. Okay. Right. It's not, it's not a big deal for them. Um, CCP is a different story. They want control of everything. Is this just a cultural thing or, or what? I don't think it's a cultural thing. I think it's just... When communism in Russia collapsed, I think a lot of the bureaucracy and a lot of the, a lot of the state apparatus that you know used to control everybody and everything collapsed. Right. They don't want to set that up again. Um. So, you know, and since instead of trying to rule everything and be in control of everything, it's just like you know, let's have some semi-autonomous republics who can who we can delegate some of the roles of governance to. Mm. This idea of delegating governance is not in the CCP's DNA. And so their response to the Uyghurs cannot be, oh, you know, he rule your own little section, you know, (laughs) um, within certain parameters, of course. um, And, and, you know, we'll just be all part of China. No, they have to annihilate them. (laughs) Isn't the CCP also trying to basically ruin Tibet as well? I've heard they, they are trying to essentially destroy the lineage of the Dalai Lama. Oh, uh, yeah, yes. Um, they are prepared for the current Dalai Lama to die. Mm-hmm. And, then after, and then afterwards, they're going to install a new Dalai Lama. Because you know how they have to search for somebody who was born at that moment? Yeah, yeah they have a search they and search. they got to pick basically, I think, um, the, the, some, some tools, essentially. You, you know how like, like for babies, you, you basically present them like a, 
like a coin, a pencil, or, or like a book or whatever. And that kind of tells your destiny, right? I, I think that's also what the, the search for the Dalai Lama is also like. And you, you got to pick the same objects that the previous Dalai Lamas uh, have chosen. And that kind of identifies them. Yes, right. Sure. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I knew they had some process for picking out who's the correct child, but I didn't know what it was. But even for the current Dalai Lama, they tried to, the Chinese tried to move in on him. Yeah, I've heard. He was under the influence for a couple of years, but somehow he broke out of it. I don't know the history of all that. But yeah, um, so they're in control of Tibet. They're not willing for Tibet to be independent. They're certainly not willing for Uyghurs to be independent. They're not even willing them to be semi-autonomous, right? So if you're not willing to negotiate with, with these people, the only other goal is to stamp them out. Hmm. Wait, I thought Tibet wasn't part of China. So it is so part why, of China. Wait, is it? Yep. <laughs> Legit? What? It, it definitely is part of China, bro. Oh, no. Do they speak the same language? No. Do they have a shared cultural heritage? No. Do they have, are they, you know, do they have shared ethnicity? No. Wait, since when? I had no idea. I've always thought it as like an independent country. Nope. Here's the thing, right? Like China has a lot of um, autonomous states, let's just say. Yeah, except they're not really autonomous, right? No, they're not. <laughs> yeah, autonomous states. It's actually a similar setup to Russia, except they're not really autonomous. <laughs> they are under the absolute control of the CCP. Wow. This is, this is kind of insane. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, unlike a traditional war, China is not interested in wiping out the Uyghurs. Why is that? I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I think, you know what it is? It's like China is, is so much stronger than they are that they not only can, you know, have their cake but eat it too. As in, like, we can defeat the Uyghurs but still not genocide them. So, so they want the Uyghurs to be turned into the labor force, essentially. They, yeah, they, they, don't, they don't want to genocide them. That would be problematic for many reasons. That would be problematic because other company, countries would start condemning them and probably put economic sanctions on them, right? Mm. And, and not only that, but, like, I don't think they really want to genocide them. Why would you kill people if you can brainwash them? That's true. Right? Brainwashing is, is much more economically expensive, but that's just how much stronger the that you know the CCP is compared to them. Yeah, because like at the end of the day, right? If you brainwash them, then you have these brainwashed individuals situated in that region, and, and mind you, no one wants to be in that region because it's quite sparse, anyways. It's, yeah. it's near the mountains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Yeah, and they, and they, but they just started off with the most petty crap. Like, they, they don't want to kill them, but they do want to crush their spirit. They started off by demanding that, making it illegal, essentially, for Uyghur men to grow beards. Really? Yep. You know how you know Muslims like to grow their beards? Yeah, yeah. They're like, no, no, no beards aren't allowed for you guys anymore. So they had to be clean-shaven all the time. Like, petty crap like that. Uh, not like They made store owners, Uyghur store owners, sell... Um, alcohol and bacon. Whoa! 
which are considered haram. They're like, no, we have to stop petty stuff just to, you know. And eventually it morphed into straight out concentration camps. Are you nuts? It's a form of cultural genocide. Yeah. Have they actually killed anyone or is it just like utterly just crushing the spirits? So look, there is no way they haven't killed anyone. Like they, like they disappear people all the time. Come on. Like okay, they, yeah, they must enough. have killed some of them, you know, but I don't think they're engaging in, I don't think they've done it much. I don't think they're interested in actually killing them off. Mm. I think the vast majority of them are being taken into education camps to be brainwashed and then returned. Yeah. I've heard they also take a lot of blood samples from the Uyghurs as well. They're just chucking in a room and they get some blood samples and, and all of a sudden all your genetic information, DNA and everything is just, just acquired. Really? Yeah. I haven't heard about that. Do you know anything about that? Uh, this is like quite a while ago. So I've heard they did that and and apparently um, the, the Uyghur like DNA and genetic information is quite well documented thanks to that. That's crazy. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what else I know about it, but it, it's definitely something to follow up on. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. They. They. So they want. They want to wipe. They want to. You know, crush the Uyghurs, but they don't want people to think of them as crushing the Uyghurs. <laughs> like they want to have their cake and eat it too. So if you if you dare to say that the Uyghurs are persecuted in China, you're so screwed. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, right? The Americans that kind of lash out on China. Sorry, China that lash out. The Americans that have lashed out on China for, you know, the atrocities in Hong Kong, right? Like the riots. Like, did I tell you how how this NBA general manager basically was? supporting Hong Kong freedom, right? And instantly, China wiped out this, this NBA team from basically all the advertisements. Was that LeBron's team? No, no, no. This was the Rockets team. So, oh. so the Rockets was the franchise that Yao Ming played for, right? And instantly, China cut funding to the NBA. So they lost like a couple million in, in sponsorship. And so the 30 teams in in the NBA, right? And so all of a sudden there was only 29. And and games that were played against um the Rockets were just blanked out. Dude, they have too much power. We need to act against them. They have too much power. They're tyrannical. Yeah. And and also China basically deployed a, a crap ton of different bots to essentially defame the general manager of the rockets so so all of a sudden on on, on social media right you just mm. see you know ten thousand bots going bro Dar- <laughs> mori is just just corrupt like lose like kill his job Mm-mm. see i wouldn't mind if china was a small state without too much influence um why is that? Well, just because I think it's a bit problematic if, if the international community feels like it needs to control every country. 
I feel like it's problematic if the international community has the power or the ability or the inclination to say to all the countries, you can do whatever you want, except for, and then, you know, have a list of things they can and can't do. I mean, this is why Donald Trump is also trying to um, decouple America from China, right? A, mm, a lot of mm. a lot of countries realize that China has grown quite powerful, and so China, powerful. yeah, China used to be the manufacturing hub of the world, sure, and they were able to take advantage of these price differences mm. when America was more powerful, right? But now, obviously, that's not true anymore, and so having your entire um, manufacturing pipeline rely on China is is really bad. Because that means China can take advantage of you and also steal proprietary information from you. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how China became one of the manufacturing superpowers of the world. They just reverse engineer everything as they <laughs> manufacture your stuff. Or just and, straight out steal IP. Yeah, or, or straight out steal that, right? Intellectual property. <laughs> yeah, what, what are they going to do about it? And I mean, India has done similar things. Countries are now trying to redelegate all these resources to to new up and coming third world countries like Vietnam and, and everything. So, for instance, a lot of the recycling industry, right, has shifted from China to being sold to like Vietnam or, or Thailand. They're just expanding their influence so much, and they have this Belt and Road strategy. What what is the Belt and Road? strategy so it's basically where they promise other countries you know millions in dollars of funding um of of foreign investment to infrastructure projects and other things like that they're building africa bro massive roads massive infrastructure projects that are then owned by the chinese i mean i mean america is also doing the same thing (laughs) it's literally Africa is basically being like an economic war front between America and China. And then both are trying to establish infrastructure. And, and here's the thing, on a surface level, right? You might think, okay, yes, we're getting infrastructure into these poor African countries. We have roads and, and all these uh, you know, public services. It's great. But it's not really contributing to the standard of living. It's and they're also just doing a partial funding so that they need further funding from them. So they're not really building what's critical and important. They're just building enough so that there is this sense of you know, economic improvements, but not enough to drastically make these African countries more powerful and radically um, out of poverty per se. Mm-hmm. But like, I think they will over time improve Africa's situation economically. Well, they will, of and, course. And they'll therefore benefit from that because there's so much economic growth to be had in Africa. Yeah, but like it's, it's kind of like the, the donkey and the carrot situation, right? They, they improve That's it right. slowly such that um, then the African countries need to repay the Chinese government back. And- yes. And um, what, what's going on is essentially economic colonization. That's what's happening. Africa is being colonized by China. Well, just not just just not a military colonization. It, it's both China and and America. You got to realize but that. I don't see it as much from America though. No, no, no. There's, there's America spends America. billions in aid 
America spends billions in aid to Africa that eventually gets pocketed by dictators and crap, <laughs> right? Yeah, but um, the thing is, America also deploys the same strategy, which is why the American um, currency is so strong. But like what infrastructure projects, what massive roads has America built yeah, but, but, in Africa? But, but here's the thing. America is also in the business of defense. And so half the um, services is protection. Yeah, I, I agree. Like in America is essentially the, pol- the policeman of the world. That's true. Yeah. I, I know that you know Trump is like we we we're not the world's policemen or whatever. They are, <laughs> they are. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that they are not benefiting from the situation in Africa. No, they are. They 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 have been building. It's just that China so has has pretty much overtaken them in terms mm-hmm. of this African colonization. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I look. This is what I believe. This is, this is what I believe it might be controversial, whatever. One of the worst things to happen in Africa in the last hundred years is its sudden decolonization by the Europeans. Hmm. Can you explain this a bit more? Because I'm not right. too knowledgeable about it. Yeah, sure. Look, colonization was a, bit, was a disaster in Africa, in most countries of Africa. You know, there might have been one or two that did you know, benefit quite a bit from colonization. Um, I think particularly of Egypt. Um, and Rhodesia, which is currently now known as Zimbabwe. Um, there could be more, but those are the ones that I know anything about. Uh, particularly Egypt, I would say. I don't know what the situation was like in Rhodesia. Maybe they, they had a system of apartheid there, but I'm not quite sure. Anyway, whatever. Point is, colonization was more or less like bad in some ways. Like, like what was the process of colonization? Well, they just, after they like figured out how to treat these tropical diseases or be immune from them or whatever. Um, they were like, okay, cool. So we can now send our soldiers in there and conquer Africa. And so Belgium, uh, Britain, France, I mean, the, 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 these European powers will just send their troops in there to try to take all these countries mm-hmm. um, and, and to colonize them. Belgium in particular was an absolute disaster um, where King Leopold, I think the first made Congo, the Congo, his personal property. Really? And Parliament let him do it because he was like, oh, yes, I'm going to develop Congo. I'm going to make it so rich and so bountiful and so prosperous. What actually happened was he exploited the crap out of the Congolese. So, so how did he do that? Well, he, just, he enslaved them. <laughs> and then he got them to, and he stole all their, all their rubber and sold it and made a lot of money. And when when Parliament figured out what was going on, they stripped Congo away from him. Mm. But by then, he'd already killed so many people, and so many people were dead and poor and whatever. Anyway, so colonization, more or less, was a bad thing. Um, some countries were better at it than others. The British were better at it than the Belgians were, but it was not a great thing. Mm-hmm. However, if you, the European powers matured. And I think over time, they would have built up Africa and made it very wealthy. Um, and would have developed, I mean, as they sort of develop now, a sense of cultural sensitivity and figured out how to organize things in a way where, you know, you, you could deal with all these different cultures um, in, 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 in a decent manner. 
And then once you know they matured and, and they sort of learned how to deal with the African people, they could have slowly decolonized and allowed the Africans to govern themselves. So, That's so what should why, have happened? Yeah. So why the sudden decolonization then? I don't know. There was just this movement of, oh, what we're doing is wicked and immoral. When they matured and realized what they'd done, they're like, oh, let's get out of here. This is wrong. Look, there was also probably a sense that maybe these colonies were costing them money. Right. So, so when well. they so when they decolonized from you know these countries, what happened then? It was a catastrophe. It was a catastrophe. I'll give you just one example, but there are many. So in colonizing, let, let's go back to the Belgians. They were probably the worst colonizers, by the way. <laughs> they sucked. <laughs> so they went into Rwanda. And they separated people into three tribes, the, Hutu, the Hutus, the Tutsis, and some other tribe, the Tuar or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the main ones are the, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And they took the minority tribe, which were the Tutsis, and they made them govern the Hutus, the majority. Right. Very clever. Do you know why? Why? Because when you have the minority governing the majority, you're not ever afraid that that country is going to declare independence from you because the Tutsis recognize that they need the Belgians to support them in order to maintain power over the Hutus. Right. Okay. They're a minority. If you're ever in charge of a country and you don't want them to rebel against you, you get two groups of people who despise each other. You pick the minority and you make him the ruler. Isn't this the two tribes that basically hate one another so much that you can't marry into each other tribe. Otherwise you just get death sentenced. Well, well, um, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but given that the Hutus genocided the Tutsis, I would not be surprised. Yeah. Like can you talk so, about the genocide a bit more? Yes. <laughs> so what happened when they left, when, when, the, when the Belgians just pissed off? Well, what happened was, you know, what do you expect happened? The Hutus spent time, gathering up uh, arms, gathering up weapons, just arming themselves. Uh, the UN could see this was happening. And one of the people involved in the UN was like, guys, guys, we need to act. The Hutus are preparing to genocide the Tutsis. No, no, we can't do anything. There's no evidence. Can't do anything. It was the Canadian um, general who, who first you know, rang the alarm bell. We can't do anything because nothing's happened yet. So they waited until the Hutus armed themselves to the teeth and they just started butchering the Tutsis. Butchering them. And only then did like, okay, we need to send peacekeepers. So they sent peacekeepers. Um, like what, months later, after hundreds of thousands of people had died. Um, so that was an example of why rapid decolonization didn't work. Because the way that the Belgians had set things up was terrible. Mm. It was very effective, but it only worked insofar as the Belgians were in control. Yes. Right? <laughs> when, the Belg- when the Belgians suddenly decided to leave, what did you think was going to happen? You needed to transition them slowly into a place where they could govern themselves. Yeah, not just like yoink it. <laughs> not, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Rhodesia was a, another example where things went very badly, very poorly. It was, used to be called the breadbasket of Europe, of, of, of Africa, the, wealth, the wealthiest country in sub-Saharan Africa. 
What happened to it? Yeah, it's it's Zimbabwe now. That's what happened to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm aware Zimbabwe is poor. Like we make all these jokes about Zimbabwe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 you can't even afford you know like eggs or whatever. Yeah, so it was a bit of a different story because it was no longer so it was a colony at first, but it was a colony that was particularly successful. Now I don't know too much about you know black white relations there, so I don't want to make a comment on that. All I know is that. It was the wealthiest sub-Saharan country. Um, I don't think whatever apartheid system they had there was anything like they had in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think they were less racist. Um, but what, ha- what happened was, um, this was for ideological reasons, by the way, because it, it was a successful colony. So it wasn't costing Britain. It, it was a British colony. Not surprising. The British knew how to colonize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what happened was it wasn't costing them money. So the reason why the British withdrew was purely ideological reasons. You know, our colonies are bad, colonies are wicked, whatever. But because it was such a successful self-sustaining colony, um, they actually declared independence. The white people living in Rhodesia declared independence from the British. Whoa. Okay. So it became its own functioning country, not merely a colony. But the entire international community was just against them. Why is that? For ideological reasons, oh, you know, we can't have, um, you know, a, a white colony in Africa. It's bad. It's not good. We need to have democracy. We need to have democracy. We need to have democracy. So <laughs> democracy isn't the answer to everything. It's, you know, democracy only works after a period of transition, like a, a, maybe, maybe a lengthy period of transition where you can um, ease different groups of people into the ability where they can govern themselves. So what happened? What happened was eventually the Rhodesians couldn't handle it. They, they, they couldn't be fighting a civil war, the Rhodesian Bush War, um, with zero international help and everybody against them. So Robert Mugabe took over. And, you know, everybody was ecstatic. Like, wait, you know, wait, who's Robert um, Mugabe? Yeah. He's, he's a... You know, a, a native sub-Saharan, a, a native uh, Rhodesian, uh, also you know, Zimbabwean, I should say, who was um, who just took over who, um, from 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 the white government. Okay, and and what happened when he took over? For six months, he sort of left things the same, so as the Rhodesians had it, and so there was some hope that he would have some continuity. Mm-hmm. Right, and that maybe Rhodesia would still remain successful, but then he just went crazy. What did he do? Crazy. <sighs> there was just a lot of corruption, a lot of corruption, a lot of corruption, a lot of corruption. Um, he did a lot of dumb things, like uh, he asked all the Asian farmers and all the white farmers to leave. Mm. What happened? Well, they you know they left. Um, he put his friends, made his friends in control of these farms, but his friends didn't, oh, all the, you know, he didn't have experienced farming. Like the black people, they didn't have experienced farming. And so Zimbabwe starved and went into a famine. <laughs> right. It's, it's actually quite interesting how, how, uh, how it's really difficult to, to guard against um, power basically corrupting you. Right, right. Um, it's, especially when you have all this ignorance. 
like I think he was ignorant. I think Robert Mugabe thought I can get rid of all the white people who helped make this nation so rich and everything will be fine. Yeah. It's not how it works. Right? There needed to be a long period of transition where they could in slowly invite everybody into in, into self-governance. Tune in next Tuesday for our next podcast. Also, please leave a review on your podcast provider. Thank you.